Hey, just a heads up that the following content may be disturbing or triggering for some listeners and is not appropriate for children. Please take care of yourself and others who may be listening with you. Welcome to the Bonus Babies Podcast, a show that has no easy answers, only hard questions. You got fired again. Wow. I get, I, she would like love to fire me. And, uh, and, so, and But I was still there. I told her, you can fire me all you want. I'm still going to be here. I'll just give you time to calm down. Can you tell me what you call the kids who you've cared for over the years? We feel that the children that we receive coming into our home are bonuses. So we call them bonus babies. I love that. This is your host, Jane Amelia Larson, and I'm a CASA volunteer, a court-appointed special advocate for youth in foster care. Yeah, I know it's a mouthful. In the same way a CASA works, I explore all things in the foster care maze by talking to kids, parents, caregivers, attorneys, social workers, therapists, anybody and everybody who will speak to me to keep the conversation open and the information flowing about all things CASA. My guest today is Latanya Hill. She has a law degree. She's a writer. She's a Reiki master. And she is a powerhouse casa. I don't know how she does it all, but she's an inspiration and has changed the life of a young woman through her casa work. Hey, so I am here with my friend Latanya Hill, who was my casa classmate. <laughs> hey, how you doing? Hi, how are you, Jane? I'm doing well, doing well. You were one of the first people that I interviewed for my book. And in it, I describe you as a born and bred Southern black kitty cat who loves tequila and has a mind like a steel trap. <laughs> um, okay, so let's talk a little bit about, about you. And how did you start working with children? How did that come about? Because I know CASA wasn't your first experience. No, it wasn't. I, it's so weird because I have, even when I was a kid, was working with children down in Alabama at the McDonald Hughes Center, which is now defunct. It's not there anymore. My mom was um, working there and I started helping her out and, and working with the smaller kids. And that sort of set the tone for everything and, and her being a teacher and me going in and teaching the little kids and stuff. So that that sort of set a, a tone and sort of instilled that kind of um, desire in me. I liked it a lot. And so throughout my entire career, even when I was in college and stuff, I would volunteer and help with little kids and stuff. And then when I came out here, I ended up being a, like a substitute teacher for LUSD. And oh, wow. You, you did do that? Yeah. It's hard work, isn't it? It was crazy work. Um, it was very hard because, you know, as a sub, they really don't like you. And I worked in South Central, which is now South LA. And so I went straight into the hood. I was like, yeah, I'm going into the hood. I'm gonna give back to the community and blah, blah, blah. You know, this old Southern girl thinking she's doing something great. And the kids were like, lady, we don't even know you. You, we don't, you don't speak our language. You don't understand us. And so I had like a lot of growing up to do with those kids. They taught me a lot. And, and in return, I taught them how the world will work for them. Really? Huh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was times when um, I talked to girls about boys respecting them and the type of clothes that they should wear and not wear if they want to be treated a certain way because the people, no matter what, are going to look at them a certain way. Um, there were girls who I uh, talked about uh, or talked with, I should say, about how to be a young lady and how to carry yourself and not to let boys like there. Well, let me put it like this. There was a boy 
who is pimping out girls on campus. This is sixth grade, by the way. Sixth grade. Wow. Pimping out girls on campus um, by selling kisses to other boys for a quarter. Oh my gosh. See, see, that stuff happens. People think it's not happening, but it is. It's happening. Yeah, it it, it absolutely is happening. And this is in the the public school system somewhere. You know, I mean, I was just floored when one of my students, one of my girls came and told me, I was like, what? She's like, yeah, he asked me to be, I said, no. And where is he? And bring him in here. And it was like a whole big thing. Obviously he got suspended, (laughs) you know, but the fact is that the girls were okay with it. You know, they didn't see anything wrong with giving these guys, these other boys a kiss for 25 cents. And then, of course, he gets a cut of the quarter. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Sixth grade. Wow. Sixth grade. <laughs> and, of course, that kind of thing just escalates, right? It starts with that and then it becomes something else. Yeah. Um, it, we've it, seen it, that in our work. Um, so what made you want to become a CASA? How did, how did that come about? So I used to, after teaching, um, I went in to work with the DA's office in a victim witness program. And my specialty was working. Sorry, in what, in what uh, program? The victim witness program. The victim witness program. Yeah. yeah. I I hope that they still have it. I, I, I think they still do. It's, it's not as um, popular as it was back then. But um, for sure, it was at the time, the, the DA at the time was very pro-victim um, witness and pro-victim and stuff. So I just happened to come in at that the right time at the right moment. And um, my background because I work with kids most of the time they they chose me to work with um the child sexual abuse unit which was over at the child crisis center in Torrance so what was that like that was oh my god that was really um it was scary and it was scary because um a lot of people you wouldn't think would be predators are they're predators. I mean, they're in the in the way that they handle it. The the professional predators, the way they use the language, the way they they make it so it's so difficult to when you do catch them to go into court and and get them like convicted. It's crazy because we would actually not only would I represent the the victims, I'm there also into in the multidisciplinary interview where you have the the little child on the other side with the doctor. Um, asking questions, you know, the the expert asking questions, and we're over there. Me, the DA, the like the, the police, law enforcement, the the social worker, other doctors. We're there, like making sure, you know, the questions are asked appropriately, and we're taking notes and and everything, and we're asking questions that they should ask. And the the weird thing is like. It really is like, oh, you have a little doll, and they and they say, can you tell me where they touched you? And they'll say, oh. The Nikanaka, and they're like Nikanaka, and you're like, what's a Nikanaka? Right. So it was like a little language. Yes. Right. So depending on the kid and whether whether they were making it up or maybe their predator taught it. Predator taught it to them. Taught them the language. So it's so you can't go to court and say Nikanaka. What's a Nikanaka? Then you have to go into this long explanation of what is a Nikanaka and and what is what does it mean? You have to show the doll and you have to have the kid come in and show it and point it. And most of the time, these are little babies. These are not teenage. This isn't like the the statutory rape. I had like the little babies, the little five six year olds, the 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 people under. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it's, and they get confused, obviously. So easy. So you, and you, Nikanaka, oh, that's vagina. 
or that's penis or that's, you know, um, anus, you know, it, and you have to do the chart and you have to write it out. And, and it was, it was just crazy. So it was amazing how horrible <laughs> these people are and can be. Right. And actually for you to say that is a lot for my listeners that can't see Latanya right now, she's wearing a t-shirt that says savage. And yeah. and that's because she's one of those like, you are <laughs> savage. I mean, but you're like a really smart, cool savage, which is great. But but for that to be terrifying for you, that must have been a really big thing. Because... It, it was stressful. I mean, we we had to have mandatory, um, you know, counseling once a month just to de-stress from reading these police reports and meeting the kids. And because no matter what, we could never show anything negative or anything that would, you know, will make them to go back to what it was because you, you're interviewing them. So when they get to us, when I'm one on one with them. I, all I'm thinking about is how can I get them services? Can I get them to move out? Like, where can I get housing for them? You know, is there one case that stands out for you? There was one case where, well, actually two, one was the mother um, found out that her boyfriend was molesting her little baby, um, her baby, like baby months, like not even a year old. And when she confronted him, he beat her like beat her to the point where she was in the hospital. Oh, I had to go to the hospital to talk to her. We're at Child Crisis Center, which is at, in Torrance at the hospital. So I had to go walk over there and and meet with her, but I couldn't really talk to her because she was like all bandaged up. It, I mean, he, he pretty much was trying to kill her. I, you know, it, it really was that point. And because it was a little baby, obviously the baby can't talk. <laughs> so, so everything came from her in the police report. And, and that one was really hard. And then there was another one where a young girl was kidnapped by five guys in a van and they basically drove across the country, raping her continuously, beating her and raping her. And she only got free when one of them, they stopped to use the restroom and go get food for themselves. And one of them um, had just finished abusing her and didn't tie her back up immediately when the other one opened the door and she just bust out, ran out naked in the shopping center and yelling and screaming and people found her and the police got her and brought her back to LA. And she, by then she was like in the Midwest and it, it, she'd been missing for weeks. So yeah, that one was really, really hard because yeah, I mean, she was, she's destroyed. I mean, there's her life. I don't even know. I hope she's okay. Yeah. Yeah. So what, how did you, how did you end up hearing about and thinking about being a CASA? Was, is it a result of that work? And then. Yeah, I actually, cause I work now for the County of Los Angeles. And at the time, one of my coworkers, he puts out a digest and stuff. We, we have it. And then I saw, um, I actually read our stuff <laughs> and someone, um, and I saw CASA and I was thinking like, Oh, this is similar to like me working with the DA and helping victims and helping children. And, and honestly, I really, even though it was like emotionally horrible for me and in the end I had to stop because it was starting to permeate into my own life where I would see people with their kids and I'm like, Hey, go get your kid because someone can snatch your kid. Like I'm talking to strangers like this and my friends are like, you need to calm down. So, so I, I realized uh, it was too much. I need to, to take a moment, but I thought, okay, I could, I could do this, but then I'm like, oh, but can I do this? Let me let me think about it. So it took a year 
actually before I said, okay, I'm emotionally, I'm ready to jump back into this thing because you never know what you're going to get. <laughs> yeah. You see, I, I didn't have the kind of experience that you did, but I had a lot of trepidation. I was, I didn't know if I could do it. I, I didn't know, you know, I was afraid. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't terrified, but I was, I was nervous. I was worried about whether or not it'd be any good, whether the kid would like me, whether I'd make a difference, you know, all that stuff. But after I talked to a couple of casas, they all said, no matter what, no matter what you do, you will make a child's life better. Even just doing something makes the kids' lives better. So um, we became friendly in training because I used to see you in the back, like stretching and doing a lot of self-care. I was, I was. <laughs> right. And if you remember, I said, I told you then after like, I don't know, a couple of weeks that in the online training, I always looked at your work first. You in did. The, right? You remember that? I remember, yeah. Because in the training, it's very interactive and there's things you, you, you need to do online and you uh, need to pose questions and respond to other people's questions and have a dialogue. And yours were always super thorough and efficient <laughs> and well-documented. And, and I, I would like like write one sentence uh, that was pretty vague. <laughs> and, and I looked at yours like, I got my, man, I'm so behind. Like, how did you do that? That was that was a that was a legal background and a writing background coming out. Right, that's right because you have a law degree. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. but also your 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 breadth of knowledge is pretty pretty remarkable. I'm well read, <laughs> and I and I don't mean that in a, as a joke. I when I worked for the DA's office, I was surrounded by the top experts in the field to the point where I had to be a top expert. You know, every so everything they knew, I knew. I I had to learn from all of them. And that includes the doctors and the parts of the body and where you need to look and where's the bruises on internally, all that kind of stuff. So um I, I took it like to heart. And then also when it came to uh, doing presentations, we used to have to go out and give presentations. So I had to learn about everyone's culture. I had to learn about abuse in the African-American community versus abuse in the Latin community versus the Asian versus white, you know, Caucasian versus, you know, I had to learn all of that type of stuff. See, this is why I really, I just think you're so impressive. And the fact that you came into the training with that, you know, I had a huge learning curve. I felt just reading your writing was an education for me. It was, yeah, it was just super impressive. Let um, me tell you, coming from you, that is like a compliment that I will take forever in my heart. And when anyone ever <laughs> says anything to me, I would say, wait a minute, let me give you someone's number. <laughs> <laughs> I will testify for you. Um, that's sweet. So let me ask you though, did you have any fears about becoming a CASA? I did. Yeah, yeah. I was with you. I I was I was I was scared. I was like um hesitant like can I do I still have it in me to to deal with this and to do this if I end up I knew when I started that I was going to take um the cases that were the most 
hard, so to speak, or the ones that were no one would want. I already knew those were the ones I was going to take. I knew I was going to take the kids. You did know that? You did know that? Oh, what, really? Yeah, that's why I was like, can I do this again? Because it, it was my background. It was my specialty. And I know a lot of people don't like getting involved in sexual assault or sexual abuse cases. It's it's the worst. It, it really is. It, and because um, the emotions that come up are so strong and visceral and you can't do anything. You have to, you know, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> you have to, you have to roll with it and, and, and you have to take that punch for that person who abused that child. And, and it can, you know, it, it wears on you. It really does. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, that I tried to talk my boyfriend into becoming a Costa <laughs> yeah. and he basically said he can't do it because he'd kill somebody. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, he doesn't actually mean that, but he does right. mean it too. Right. Yeah, yeah. So can, can you tell me a little bit about your case now? So when it started, like now I'll say it's great, but like when it started, um, it was very, very emotionally challenging and draining um, because I was new and so was she. We were both sort of new to this system. And even though I had all this background, but just new to CASA, period, and the rules and regulations that came with CASA. And um, so sh- we... Did not start off well. As a matter of fact, the first day she just got up and left and, you know, she, you know, told me off and and, and got up and walked away. Really? When you yeah. first met her, she got up and walked out? Yeah. I didn't even know she was like, I'm like, is she coming back? I sat there. I'm such a dork. I sat there for like 10 minutes and then I was like, I don't think she's coming back. And so I got up and I went to find the, because she was in a foster home, right? Not foster home, mm-hmm. sorry, a group home. And I went to find the, the lady who had let me in. And I'm like, hey, um, is she coming back? And then she went upstairs and then she came back and said, no, she said she's not coming back and you don't have to either. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I'll be back. But <laughs> she's my case, but okay. So, so I left and I was just like, I don't know about this. <laughs> I was like, I don't know. Uh, why do you think she, she left? She left because I was... I, think because I was going at her maybe a little too strong uh, now that I look back. I, and I, when I say too strong, meaning that I was like, oh, well, we need to, um, you know, talk about your schooling and what are you doing in school? We need to like, you know, I was already trying to figure out her life and solve things. So I'm like, you're going to, you're 15, you're going to be 16. So we have to prepare you. And she wasn't there yet emotionally. She wasn't, she was, she had just gotten moved out. She had just, you know, everything just happened and she had a sister and I didn't even know that at the time who she was separated from. So what was her situation? Why was she removed from her, her bio home? Because her, um, her father had abused her. I see. And so she had to be relocated, had to be moved out. And that was when she was a teenager. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, there's no, there's no good age. They're all, they're all very difficult ages to be removed from your from your home even if it's to save save a life right yes and it, and she was she came from a you know a well-to-do kind of family so that is another thing altogether that makes it even more complicated because people think that oh if you're in a well-to-do family then you have everything at your fingertips and and it's so easy for you but um, not really not when it comes to certain situations it, it the well-to-do family takes it way worse, way harder than 
the family that's not well-to-do, believe it or not. And I, really? and I, I know, I think so in my opinion and what I've seen. And, um, and I say that because they're used to people taking care of things or handling things for them. And they're not used to like harsh stuff, really, truly coming at them. Very, very difficult. So when it does happen, something like this, they're just like, okay, I don't want to focus on it. I want to like smooth it over. And I want to just sort of pretend that it, it didn't really happen or something. And, and um, also when you're moved out from this really nice area to this area that's not so nice and you're not accustomed to that type of lifestyle. I see. I see. Yeah. So you think that's even, that makes it particularly difficult. Mm-hmm. It made it definitely difficult for, for my, uh, my girl, my, my case, um, because she was used to a certain lifestyle and now that lifestyle is gone and, you know, being able to like say, I want this, I want that. And then easily it comes to you. And then now you say, I want this, I want that. And they're like, <laughs> yeah, right. So how did, how did she end up in a group home? <sighs> because there was no family to take her. No that, family monitor. Mm-mm. No, it was only the father's family here, the mother's family somewhere else. So um, obviously the father's family, they, they were with the father. They weren't necessarily with her at the time. And so they weren't, and it wasn't a lot of them either, and they're way older. So, yeah. What what happened to your relationship with her? How did it evolve? Or Oh, my God. It was tumultuous to start with. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh, it was so tumultuous. She fired me so many times. <laughs> She, and I finally like got in her head that I'm a volunteer. You can't fire me. <laughs> you know? And then, I mean, she would like run away. She just like would go off of me. And I, and I was, I was going to quit. I mean, I, I was going to like stop. I was like, this is just too much. I can't just, this girl is just like, I, my thought was like, she just doesn't get it. She's so ungrateful. She like, you're working so hard and she's like so nasty and so mean. <laughs> and I was just like, my, I mean, you was there. <laughs> Right. So what was the group home like? The group home was like not good. Um, in what way? Yeah. In what way? I mean, because the staff, the staffing was just, uh, they let the kids run wild. And I think that was a, another problem because I was trying to like insert some discipline and structure in her life, even though we weren't in the same spot. And she was just like, who are you lady? You know, I can do whatever I want here. Or these people don't care. They were, I mean, from what I gathered and what I saw sometimes they were, you know, acting like these kids were their friends and buddies. And and I get it to a certain extent. They're there with them and they want them to have that kind of, you know, collegiate kind of familiar, whatever, um, relationship, but there's a line. Was this like, like a group home with 10 people, 10 girls or or 20 or what? It was, it was like hundreds of kids of various hundreds of girls. Age groups, various age groups. Um, from they had kids from kindergarten all the way up. Yeah, and and so in her home, there was probably uh, shoot, there's probably like thirty, forty kids just in the home because they have different homes for different age groups. So as you go up, you move to a different home, right? But you're still on the same campus. I see on the same campus. Yeah, it's almost like a college dorm. It's almost like a college campus with everything around you. Oh gosh, and how trying to take care of so many kids at once. It's a lot. And then some of the kids were like prostituting there. So they would have pimps and stuff. So they jump off and go 
out of bounds, as they call it, which is basically leave campus and go somewhere else and do stuff. And so I was like fighting to make sure she wasn't one of those. And sometimes like um, people would not call me back when I wanted to talk to her. I wanted to get information or, you know, because, you know, we have to like talk to the therapist. We have to talk to the doctors. We have to talk to the supervisors and um, all the people in the school and everything. So I was just going through my list as we learned in class of people to contact and speak with. And even to this day, I, her first uh, therapist at the place, I still have not talked to this dude. I have not. He, he never communicated with you or he, he, ne- he, you he ne- never communicated. I was there sometimes and I met like the, um, the person who was running everything and she introduced me to the staff and, and stuff. So they knew who I was. And I was like, a just like this shirt says, I was a savage on them. I was not taking any prisoners. I was just like, no, you're going to give me this. You're going to give me that. And if you don't, I will get over there. I would drive from West LA all the way over to that place, which took forever. <laughs> and, and, oh, I remember you had really long drives, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, I yeah. did. <laughs> and that is, that's part of the deal. That's, yeah. that happens in Los Angeles. You can be, you can live somewhere and your kid could be anywhere in yeah. LA County. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you take that as a, you accept it, right? Right. But what you're saying about just being like a terrier about it, that is what works. I remember this is true for me too. I think probably all CASAs, you just get in there and you keep on going. You keep on making the calls, you keep on making the business. You just keep on it, keep on it, keep on it. And that's, that's the way you get the information that you need. Right. And that's pretty much how it happened. And, and when they realized like, oh, this crazy lady will show up if she doesn't get it, she'll, she'll actually show up and go to the head boss. And, you know, there, after that, it was like, oh, okay, they'll just send whatever. And then I had to deal with the school, you know, then we maneuvered to the school because her grades, she went from making A's and B's where she was in her very nice school to another very nice school, to be quite honest. <laughs> I looked them up. I checked them out. Cause she was telling me it's a horrible school and this and that. And I'm like, let me check this out. I, you know, I'm like, Oh, once I took over her ed rights, remember I became her ed rights holder. So that's another thing that CASA can or cannot do, or, I mean, should you have a choice if you want to be the educational holder? And so I was, because there was no one. Yeah. I did it too. Cause there was, there was no one. Yeah. 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 yeah so and it, that, and it's really important for the kid to have somebody to fight for their, their educational rights. Yes. Yeah. So um, how's she now then? How, because, so she fell really behind once she ended up in the group home, right? She did. And she, she was acting out. She was, she, she was, she was up to bad behavior, right? Right. She lashed out. She disappeared for a moment where she almost got kicked out of the group home. And I was just like texting her friends and, and China's like, where is she? Tell her to call me, tell her she's going to get kicked out. Like, uh, and me, like, calling them saying, look, don't kick her out. Like going, talking to the attorney, everything like, look, don't kick her out. Social worker, don't kick her out. If she'd gotten kicked out, what would have happened to her? She would have been in one of those, um, like a, a center, like where they take, where the homeless people go, where they put them in a, in a center right there in, in waiting. They, they had nowhere for her to go. They had no home. They had nothing. I'm like, where would she go? And they're like, well, we can put her in a center. Uh, to shelter for a minute. I said, she can't go in a shelter. I'm like, this girl went from a really nice house where she lived to this group home where she has like nothing. And now you're talking about putting her in a shelter. 
uh-uh, this is not going to happen. We're not going to do this. So yeah, I was just like, no, she's coming back. No, don't do it. I was even considering like, if this comes, if it gets this bad, then I'll just like take over and, you know, have her, I'll become her uh, guardian and like official guardian. And, and All right. Can you do that? Would you have had to, um, that, that's a long process, right? It is a long process, but it would it would have been fast tracked, so to speak, because she wouldn't have had anywhere to go. So I would have fostered her and then I wouldn't have been able to be a casa anymore. Yeah. yeah. So it was just like, OK, I can't do that. <laughs> That's know? right, because you can't be both. Right. You can't be a casa and the guardian or yeah. a casa and the the adoptive parent. Right. Yeah. So luckily she came back and then, you know, right on time <laughs> before. Yeah. I mean, like she just made it in under the wire. Yeah. She made it under the wire because I was like, if you're not back by this time, you don't have a bed. You're, you're in, you're in the streets, girl. You're, you're in the shelter and I can't help you. And so she did pop up at that moment in time. Exactly. Like, you. yeah, she heard me. And, and then after that, like we, we had another, <laughs> another battle <laughs> grand Royale where she fired me. And um, you got fired again. Wow. I get, I, she like loved to fire me. And, uh, and, so, and but I was still there. I told her, you can fire me all you want. I'm still going to be here. I'll just give you time to calm down, you know, and only because I wouldn't like let her go somewhere. You know, she wanted to go. And I was like, no, you can't go. And I and they're right. You can't. And she wanted like a room to herself. And I'm like, you can't have a room to yourself. You know, it, it's just not going to happen. Um, and I can't make them give you a room <laughs> to yourself. I don't own the building. Uh, so she fired me. And then I gave her a moment to calm down. And and then, you know, we just sort of like got back together because she needed me for, again, Ed rights. I had to go mm-hmm. to those meetings and stuff. Mm-hmm. I had to meet with the teachers. And so she well, you had- You became useful to her. Yeah. Yes. 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 She's a smart cookie. <laughs> That was a pro- that was another problem too, actually, <laughs> because she was so freaking smart, and um, I would send her all types of information, and she would actually look it up and double check and everything, and uh, and then she learned the system on the other side with with the kids who have been in right. You mean she while. learned how to game it? You mean yes, yes. She learned mm. how to game the system, so I had to learn how to game her game. Wow. <laughs> wow. Was- okay, that was not in the training. Uh, no. If I remember. Right. It was definitely not in the training. <laughs> no. And she, I'm telling you, she worked me. I was like, this little girl is working me <laughs> so hard. <laughs> and, but, um, but Wait, so I, how, how, how's she now? She's how's amazing. She now? She's like, we got her to the point once she realized that all the stuff I was telling her was true when it came to life and education and what she needed to do. She finished school early. She graduated with like A's and B's. She's at, we was at the top of the class and stuff. She, um, I think she graduated like three months early and, and because we had her fast tracked. And, um, so I had her taking classes online while she was in school at the same time. Wow. Wow. Yeah. We, we, we sat down and we made a plan. She and I, I told her, look, we have, you're like, okay, you're about to graduate. You're the adult now. And I'm going to treat you like an adult from here on out. No more treating you like a kid. I'm speaking to you and talking to you like an adult. We're going to sit down and we're going to make a life plan. And we did it. And, and she's, she's on it. I mean, she started, she got a, she graduated, she got a job. Um, she's in school now. Um, 
taking classes online. Yeah. She's taking classes online, making great grades. She has her own place to stay because, you know, they give you a place to stay when you're, Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, because she hasn't. She's she's still in the system because she's not yet twenty one, yep. and she's in school, right? That's great. Right. And boy, she came so far because if, if I remember, didn't she? Um, didn't she pull out a lot of her hair? She did. And thank you so much. You you hooked us up really great. Was yeah, yeah, yeah. She did. And then we arranged for my friend, the hairdresser, mm-hmm. um, to give her a, a style that would make it a little bit better, right? Yeah, and she did better. a great job. She actually asked me later on, she was like, what's her name again? And she, I, you know, forwarded her the information because, you know, I told her, you got to start handling your business and your life and call me when you need me. When you can't do it, call me and then I'll do it for you and I'll show you how to do it. So next time you'll understand how to do it. And that's how we've been doing things from here on out. But yeah, she had that thing because it was her nervous tick. Whenever she got stressed and, and, and upset and everything, she would just like pull out her hair and she had like beautiful, beautiful, beautiful hair. I was like, oh my God, girl, don't mess your hair anymore. So she learned, she, she's, she's past that. And I mean, she's a firebrand. She's going to, she's going to rule this world, man. <laughs> she's, she's amazing. So how do you feel about the work that you did? How do you feel about your role as her casa? I am happy. I'm very honored. And when I hear her sometimes speaking and I hear my, my words and, <laughs> and I hear my words, you mean, her- you mean like, she's like remembering what you're saying and then she's saying it back to you. Yes. Oh, cool. <laughs> yes. And I'm just like, Oh my God. I told her, I, I told her, I said, you are my spirit child. <laughs> you really are. You gave me hell. <laughs> you're my spirit child. And she just <laughs>, laughs and stuff. And She's like, you know, she's like, how do you know everything? How did you know so much? How did, how did, I don't understand how you know how to do all this stuff. And I said, girl, I've lived a long, hard life. And, and that's what I do. I said, my, you know, I, I learned the same way you are, you know, you, you go through things and you learn how to deal with them or you see other people go through stuff and you learn from their mistakes. And I said, and the thing is, I just didn't want you to make some of the mistakes that I saw other people making. And so I always tried to clear the path for you. But, you know, sometimes you got to learn by experience. Yeah. Have you learned about yourself um, through the work as well? I did. I mean, she taught, I told her, like, she taught me a lot too. Like she taught me, I, I have to say like a lot of patience. <laughs> she, she, and not just in a, like, oh, I'm so patient kind of way, but patience as in when people have stuff going on and you don't really understand what's happening, you see them, but you don't see them. Right. So she, when she was firing me and acting out and, and doing stuff, it was, it had nothing to do with me. And sometimes it didn't even have to do with her situation. It was just a reaction as to life and as to maybe like, um, feeling helpless. I feel like I have no control, no say, so everyone's making decisions for me and this is my life. And once I, I figured that out. It clicked in my head. I think that's really what changed our relationship. When I was, I was so used to being in control and taking control of a situation when it came to everything because of my previous work, it never crossed my mind that this is a young adult who, even though she's had a traumatic experience, she still needs to be in control of her life and, and everyone's in control and she feels helpless. So give her her control. 
So I was basically, you know, I stepped back and I gave her that control. And now I realized that with a lot of people in my personal relationships, I'm so used to going in that I and take over and I would just run everything and so that no one could, you don't have to think because I'll think for you. You don't have to do it. I'll take care of it for you. Basically, just sit back and relax. I got your life covered. <laughs> and, wow. And, and now I don't do that. <laughs> I'm like, hey. Your decision is your decision, and I'll support you in your decision. If you need help, I'll be there for you. Let me know how it goes. So mm, yeah, so you've found like a certain amount of peace in that in that yeah. way. Yeah, yeah. I, I, she she called my personality type A down at least to an A minus. <laughs> <laughs> a minus, A minus, B plus. <laughs> So let's talk about your Reiki work because I know it's really important part of your life right now. Yes, I love it. And she actually came to my one of my Reiki circles. And oh, she did. She did. When we could actually have them in person before all this happened. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. Before COVID. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Before so COVID. for our listeners that don't know, what is Reiki? How does it work? What's the process? So Reiki is the, it's a Japanese technique for channeling energy through the hands to another person's body, through their aura, through the etheric body. You just go straight down. You can do it like hands on or hands off. Obviously now we're doing hands off because of this, you know, our wonderful, horrible pandemic. Um, and, but before that you could actually like touch the person you touch the, you, you basically are touching to clear away any like emotional trauma, um, blockages, uh, negative energy, and, and you can feel it. You, once you're attuned, I should say to, to the, um, energy, you can basically feel another person's energy and what's going on with them easily. Um, if, as long as you're working with the energy, I should say, because some people find it really difficult to work with the energy, but I find it to be like second nature. I love it. It is amazing. Um, I have like, uh, my clients are, they are seeing like the change and, I I'm constant, like even today, they're like texting me and seeing, telling me what's going on in their life. I have um, people who are cancer patients. I have people who are just like, you know, just having emotional trauma issues they want to get out and deal with. And others who are just highly stressed at their, their job. And they just need that moment of peace and tranquility and they release all of that negative energy that they have from work. So it's, it's been pretty good. And I have like a Reiki circle that people yeah, so is it is it in an ongoing therapy or do people take it do they do it sometimes and then come back or how does that work as far as the treatments it is really individual i i have people who come back um every month or every two weeks and then i have others who i see every two to three months you know and i don't know and they don't know until we actually have that first session how it's gonna go i have actually told people they're there people was like, I'm going to be back every two weeks. I'm like, no, you don't need to come back every two weeks. I don't need to see you every two weeks because I give them work to do. I give them meditations. I, I, I say, you know, contact me, call me because the energy is going to be with you for a minute and there's going to be stuff going on. And, um, you know, I, I feel like if you do the work, you don't have to come back as often, but if it's something really deep and serious, then yeah, you should. But most, most are like once a month, once a month. Only if you are every two weeks. 
so can you practice Reiki on yourself as well? I do it all the time. Yes. I never turn my Reiki off. It's been on this entire time we've been talking. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I, I don't turn it off. I, I keep it on like some, when you go through, because like now I'm like a Reiki master, but in the practitioner, they're like, oh, you can turn it off. And, and I'm just like, no, I never wanted to turn off because I want to always work with it. And I want it to always be on. And because things come at you all day. And it really does clean that stuff out immediately. So I, I practice raking on myself all the time. I did it this morning. I'll, I just do it throughout the day. And or it'll just I feel it just like start moving stuff out. And for me, sometimes it'll be painful. And sometimes it'll be like a little prick, like someone just pull something off of me or out of me. And it's it's or a tingling sensation. And, and I'm now that I'm used to it, it doesn't bother me. But before I was like, what's that? What's, this? what's going on? But, but now I know. So I'm like, oh, okay, it, it's, it's clean something out. I mean, I recently like had like an emotional issue and um, I didn't feel anything. And it's not like I didn't feel anything as in like a psychopath crazy. <laughs> no, I didn't feel anything as in it allowed the emotion to come in. But I, I felt like the sadness leave and move out but what was left was clarity and that's the thing it, it was like okay this situation happened and it happened because xyz and this is right and, and you can't feel sad and you can't be mad because this is what you got from this relationship or this is what you got from this situation and this is what that person got so you both did something good for each other and that's that's ricky it's it's for the higher power it just puts you in a different mindset. It, it lets you see situations differently. So what's negative is not negative. Right. So has it changed your cost of work as well? Yeah, because now um, when me and my Casa girl, like when we talk and we get together, our conversations are different. You know, it, it's more of a like a spiritual um, do good. Let's let's be balanced. Let's let's, you know, take this negative and let's see the positive kind of stuff in it. And, um, you know, and we're supposed to. Well, when this is over, <laughs> get together and, sh you know, she's going to come over and we're going to do sessions with her and stuff because we're going to release all of that trauma and stuff that might be left over so that she can really focus. But she's, she's doing it. We, we do it. Like we, we have that like a little Reiki kind of communication together and stuff. So it, it works out quite well. She, she likes it. She's, she loves it. She's like, I like this. She, when she did the circle, she's like, I really like this. I want, yeah, we can do this. And I was like, yeah, we're going to, don't worry. I think a lot of children, I, I mean, I have some kids who come, the parents like, uh, well, used to <laughs> bring them and stuff. And, um, and it, they, you know, it worked. They're like, oh my God, my kid is like so much calm. They're so this and they're that. And I'm like, I said, it's just a balance. It's, it's just balancing out the energy, you know, that's all. Yeah, you, you are such an accomplished person. So I, all the experience that you have, and now you've become a Reiki master and you're also a writer. Um, I just want to talk about this as the last thing, because I don't want to miss out because you're so super creative, but the book Dollhouse Corporation. So I don't even know what to call that genre. It's like metaphysical, crazy ass, cool yeah. shit. So how, how <laughs> can you give me a quick description for art so that when, when people go out and look for it, they can. Are they you can. kidding me? You just gave the best uh, description. <laughs> <I could ever. laughs> 
You just it's a wild a, read. You yeah. just gave the best description ever. What are you talking about? I love your description. All right. Your novel is called The Dollhouse Corporation, right? Dollhead Corporation. I'm sorry, Dollhead Corporation. <laughs> but I, love I can't remember the title. Right, sorry. Okay, it's okay. Right, I, I love your description because it is really wild. It's out there and it is metaphysical sci-fi. I, I love that you had mentioned that. Um, because I was like, yeah, this is really what it is because it's about this woman who owns a company and she is basically giving people what they want and they desire, whether they be alien or human or, you know, in between or spirit. Uh, and she's like working with them, but only for a certain thing, you know, she gives them what they want, but there's always, you know, there's always a price you have to pay. And for each little story and each little novelette, there is a price that everyone pays for what they That's want. That's right. There's a Faustian bargain. Exactly. Each one, right? I yeah. love you. You got it. You really yeah. did. Because yeah. I, I love, you know, that's one of my favorites. Um, I go all the way back to Edgar Allan Poe and I go all the way back to all of that, that type of um, literature is the basis almost for this type of book. And it was a lot of, some of the stuff that's in the book, people think, oh, that can't happen. But trust me, I researched this stuff. Dude, there are people doing this and in different countries and different places. Some of the stuff that's in there is like a little out there, but there's been folks trying it. Yeah, it's fiction, but it's based on some real stuff that's happening and going on. And then, I, of course, I just take it to a really crazy level because my mind is just totally out there. So it's like you either really love this book or you really hate this book or you're just like, I have no idea what I just read. <laughs> okay, I felt all those three things, actually. <laughs> it's true. All right, so this is my last question. So what one thing or, or things um, would people not know about you unless you told them? I'm such an open book a lot of times. I, I think what they don't know is that really I'm basically a very shy person. Okay, yeah, that's funny to me. Uh, you say you're an open book. I don't feel that way about you at all. You don't? No, I had to dig and dig to become actually, to become friends with you. You might appear to be forthcoming, but there's so much going on underneath that I'm just, even now, we've been friends for a while. Yeah. But I, I believe that you are a shy person. So yeah. even it, uh, other people might see you as very uh, effervescent um, yeah. and forthcoming. But I know from the very beginning that you like hold it back a lot. So so anyway, continue. Sorry to interrupt. No, no. I, I, that, that's because you're like a very elevated, high thinking, highbrow kind of gal. <laughs> <laughs> you see past. Yeah, the, right. right. <laughs> really, surely, you see past the what people put before them. You see deeper than most people. And I think that's why we connected and why I connected with you, because I could tell like, OK, she sees deeper. She doesn't just see the superficial. She understands people and she sees the character and personality that's hidden below. A lot of people don't. So they think like, oh, you're just out there. You're like this. You're so gregarious. And, and you're, you're, you know, and the truth is I'm very comfortable uh, by myself, shy, a little hermity kind of. And so when this whole situation happened and people were at home, I did my moment of crazy, but um, I was like, oh, good. I get to be at home, quiet <laughs> by, my, by myself for a minute. Just so, doing your own thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So can you think of one thing? I can, um, that, well, 
I, that was my thing, but you just took it. <laughs> oh, you know what? That is your thing, that right? That, thing. That, that you appear to be one way, but the truth is you're very introverted and shy. Yeah. And I think that like a lot of people um, who don't know me very well, who don't get to get in that inner circle, they think that, oh, you know, you're very cold and, and callous or like, and that's not, that's not true at all. My first instinct is always to give, not to take. And a lot of people misinterpret, I don't know, my, my personality sometimes when, when I'm very forthright uh, about certain things, they don't understand. Like when I'm saying stuff, it's never to hurt. It's always to help, but I'm honest about things. Don't ask me questions. You don't want honesty. <laughs> don't, don't ask. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate that about you. And I appreciate you taking the time to talk to with us today. Or when I say with us, I mean the royal we, like me in my head, right? Of course. We all say we, don't we? I really appreciate you. I appreciate your casa work. I appreciate your writing. I appreciate your Reiki and your legal mind. No, oh, thank you. All right, my dear. You have a good day. Okay? All right. Take care. Thank you so much. Latania's a really special woman doing special work. But I bet you can too. If you think you may want to become a casa, just go to an orientation, check it out, and you can get trained and really make a difference in a kid's life. Anywhere in the country, go to nationalcasagal.org. The kids really need you. If you see something, say something. If you suspect that a child's health or safety is jeopardized in any way by parents or anyone else, contact the Child Protective Services Agency in your county. 24-hour hotlines are staffed by trained social workers who will help you through the process, and you can do so anonymously. In California, you can call the Child Protection Hotline at 800-540-4000. And right now in COVID, reports of abuse and neglect are down by 50%. And that's not because it's not happening. It's because kids are not in school, and their teachers and other adults, mandated reporters, aren't seeing them. So if you see something, say something. You might be saving a child's life. And if you're an older kid in trouble, check out PennyLane.org. They offer a safe place for homeless and LGBTQ youth who need some help. And if you're a kid in care who wants a casa, you can ask for one. In Los Angeles, go to CasaLA.org. And anywhere else in the nation, Go to nationalcasagal.org and you can get one. I want to thank the supremely talented Christina Apostolopoulos for her beautiful music, Eferisto. To hear more of her music, go to Spotify and Instagram at Christina Apostol. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-A-A-P-O-S-T-O. I know you want to. Her stuff is really great. And thanks to my audio producer extraordinaire, Marcos Campito. I'm glad I found you. Thanks for listening, and if you like what you hear, please rate us and hit subscribe.